If you're new with us this morning, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodlake, and I am so excited to get to speak to you today. Uh, before I do, I want to introduce you to my family. So this is my wife, Whitney, uh, and our sons, Teddy and Riley, who have both gone through... Yeah, give it up for them. That's awesome. Um, those boys were already in a growth spurt before we fed them Christmas, uh, and so we're getting new pictures done within the month. And so next time I'm up here, hopefully you'll see some new ones. Hey, before I jump in, I want to welcome some people watching online. Uh, we've got Rob watching, Vicki, Mike and Judy. I've got some family watching in PA, and then the Vernon family. Would you guys just give it up for everybody watching online today? <laughs> Guys, thanks for watching this morning. Wherever you are, whether you're traveling or someone in the family's not feeling well, whatever it is, I want you to know that you are a part of the family today. And when we say experience God and find family, that is not confined to a building. Uh, that's just a part of who we are. So thank you for logging in today. If you need anything, just drop us a message or leave a comment and our team will be with you. Well, family, we've been talking about it all day today. We're about 13, 14 hours away uh, from the end of the year. And if you're anything like me, I put a lot of pressure on the Christmas season. Whatever you just be honest, raise your hand at me if you're that way too. A lot of pressure around the holidays. Uh, oftentimes at this time of year, I find myself becoming more and more like Clark Griswold every single Christmas. And I don't just mean in a good way. Uh, so much so that actually I'm gonna let you in on something because my kid's not in the room. Uh, there's a particular movie where a particular character loses a gift somewhere in the attic. Uh, and that actually happened this year. So this year, I was packing up for our trip. We'd already given out all the presents, and I found a few extra hidden behind something, and so my conversion is almost complete. <laughs> now, if you're anything like me, though, this time of year, particularly like today, today and tomorrow, can come with some disappointment. If you put a lot of pressure on this season or maybe on this year, or if you at the beginning of the year, you had a lot of energy and goals and excitement, and you said 2023 was going to be different, and here we are, and it's over. And maybe one thing or another didn't go as planned. Maybe there were things that you were looking forward to that now have come and gone, and it didn't go exactly perfect. And because it wasn't perfect, you might have missed out on the good that did happen. And you find yourself today struggling to have hope. Uh, family, I, I love these holiday weekends because it feels as much like a family as ever. And I want to let you in on a little bit of something this morning. I honestly feel like God's been trying to talk to us today. And the reason I can say that, I, so I walked in during worship, I was coming in kind of in between songs, and right as I walked in, Elizabeth, who was leading worship today, she gave a word to us about hope and dealing with hope as we go into this new season. And if it wasn't almost word for word what I was about to share with you this morning, it was just amazing. And then that last song that they sang, talking about being in the presence of the Lord, here in a little bit, I'm going to come to a verse that lines up perfectly with that song. Now, I say all that to say this. They had no idea what I was going to be talking about today. I had no idea what songs they were going to be singing, but I love when these moments happen. And it's not, in my opinion, any kind of coincidence. To me, it's God looking at all of us, or maybe even just one specific person today, and saying, hey, it's a good thing you showed up. It's a good thing you're listening. It's a good thing you're here, because I've got some more stuff I want to say to you. 
And so today, I, I want us to lean in and open up God's word, and I want us to look at how we can deal with disappointment and have hope. Uh, another one of those cool kind of God things, yesterday we were driving back, so we were on a road trip coming back from Pennsylvania, and my, my Spotify automatically played a podcast from a church. And I, I love the church, I love the pastor, so I went ahead and listened. And the message that it played lined up with what I was going to say today, and he actually led off with a quote, and here's the quote that he gave. This is from an author named John Cheever. Uh, he was actually a novelist, but listen to what he had to say. The main emotion of the adult American who has all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. Today, I want us to lean in and be honest about and then deal with our disappointment. And for us to be able to do that today, I want us to start by looking at Advent. Now, if you're anything like me, Advent is, as far as we know, over. Uh, if your family celebrates and does the Advent calendars, those were finished up last week. Advent as a season is now gone and is half price at Hobby Lobby. That's all that Advent is to us <laughs> anymore. But if you really study Advent in the church calendar, it has nothing to do with December 25th specifically. It's actually about looking forward, not just to Jesus coming as a baby, but Jesus coming again. Uh, in the original language, the word Advent is actually a Latin word that means coming. In the Christian church calendar, it's the period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas, and also of preparation for the second coming of Christ. Today, we're going to lean in to the second coming of Jesus. We're going to see, even though we've all had disappointment, there's been difficulty in the last year, we've got a lot of stuff still to look forward to. And I believe that God could do something even in the final hours of 2023 that can make it all make sense to us. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 13. Uh, I'm going to read you this whole passage, then I'm going to pray for you, and then honestly, I'm, I'm just excited to give you this word this morning. Uh, so let me read for you, and then we're going to pray. So we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 through verse 18. Here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who have le are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first." After that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me pray for you as we begin to read today. Lord, I thank you for the service that we've already had. God, I thank you for the worship. I thank you for the fact that we were able to give. And Lord, for the, for the joy and laughter that's been in this place already. God, that's no mistake. We are celebrating the year end with our family today. And I'm just honored that we get to do that. Now, God, in the moments that remain this morning, I pray that you would speak through your word. And Lord, more importantly than that, we know you're always speaking. So God, help us to listen. May our ears be listening. May our minds be open and our hearts be ready for our life to change. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. 
Today, I want to study this short passage, but for it to make sense to us, I need to tell you who it's written to and what it's written about. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, a lot of the New Testament is actually made up of letters. These letters were given to churches, many of them by a man named Paul. Paul was a follower of Jesus who had converted to Christianity, and he had an incredible story that I can't get into today. But what I want you to know about Paul is that he wrote a letter to a church in Thessalonica. That's where we get the word Thessalonians. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had converted a lot of people to faith in the area, and there were two specific groups that it highlighted. So in Thessalonica, there were Gentiles, that is people that were not of Jewish faith, that had converted to Christianity. And then there were a bunch of Jewish people that converted to faith in Jesus, which was not only a radical religious move, it was a cultural move, and it would put them at odds with friends, family, and ultimately their community. So at this point, Paul is converting an area, and there are many people that do not like what he's up to. The book of Acts kind of spells out the story. So I'm going to go to Acts chapter 17, and this is what's happening in Thessalonica long before the letter is written that we're about to read. It says, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Here's the irony. These Jewish people did not like Caesar and his decrees, and yet they're saying this because they are so threatened by Paul and this new faith that they will do anything they can to bring him down. Uh, One of my favorite translations of this passage actually says, quote, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. This is where the stage is set for Thessalonians. There's this people group that have been under persecution. If you continue to study, Paul actually flees the area. And after doing so, the aim of all of these people that were persecuting Paul personally began to persecute these other believers, many of which ended up losing their lives. So Paul can't get there himself, and he sends a man named Timothy. Timothy comes to check on the area and check on these people. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, we sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Timothy goes to the area and he notices two things. First, he finds a thriving church. Somehow these people are still following and believing the Lord. Somehow they are still encouraging each other. But he also finds an area of great loss. Many of those believers had lost their lives and many of those that were still alive and still following the Lord are now left with questions. What's gonna happen to us What happens to our friends who have passed away? What happens when we had all of these expectations that have gone unmet? What happens next? Have you ever asked those questions? 
Are you today looking at New Year straight in the face and asking God, what is next? I don't know if I can handle any more of what has happened this year. Or, or maybe you're optimistic and that's great, but we still ask the questions, what is next? One commentary I read said this, the Thessalonians likely expressed concern that their deceased brothers and sisters in the Lord and those who may die before his return will miss out on Christ's return and the glorious future of the age to come. They begin to wonder if everything they believed was true, what's really gonna happen to these people? Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this, sorrow had come to the lives of these saints and they were wondering whether their dead fellow Christians would be left behind at the return of Christ. Have you ever come up against a situation where you've had a lot more questions than you've had answers? Today, I can't give you all of the answers. In the brief time we have together, I can only give you maybe one or two. But here is what I know. Paul, while he was writing to Thessalonica in that day and time, his words still ring true for us today. So today, if you, like the Thessalonians, have more questions than answers, I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a few moments and look at what Paul, a leader in the faith, would have to say to you to answer your own questions. Paul was helping them to understand how do we cope with what's next. Now let's work our way through the passage I read earlier. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul's telling them that you don't grieve like the world grieves and because of that, you actually can grieve with hope. What would he say to us today? If you're taking notes, I'm going to have you write two things down. Very simple. Here's the first one. We look forward with hope. One of the worst feelings in life is hopelessness, having nothing to look forward to. A long time ago, I was sitting with one of my friends and he asked me a question that to this day, I try to ask people when I'm hanging out with them and having conversation over coffee. Toward the end of the conversation, he simply said, hey, what are you looking forward to right now? Isn't that a great question? On one hand, it can help reorient us to think, okay, Christmas is over, what am I looking forward to? And you fill in the blank of whatever that next thing is. But if you're in a little bit of a darker place, it's in those moments where you step back and say, whoa, I actually don't know if I'm looking forward to anything. In those moments, I want us to lean on scripture and see, okay, in the moments where I don't know what I have to look forward to, I want the Lord to help me to look forward with hope. Here's a little bit of interesting history for you. Paul writing these letters and sending them all over the world was not unique to Paul. This is actually something that would have been done by a lot of philosophers or other leaders and teachers at the time. There's one key difference though. One of the commentaries that I read was studying history, and here's what it said about those philosophers at Paul's time. They often, quote, consoled the recipients of their letters, saying, do not grieve, or, quote, do not grieve too much, since it will not do any good. The other leaders, philosophers, and teachers at the time, basically their thinking was, hey, life's terrible, but don't get sad about it because it's not going to do any good anyway. Without a Christian worldview, we have no way to make sense of the bad things in our life. 
You know, oftentimes people that are skeptics of faith, they'll say, why do bad things happen to good people? Or if someone follows Jesus, why do these bad things happen to them? You miss the point when you ask that question. We live in a fallen world. Bad stuff happens to all of us, and a lot of it happens way more than we would want to. That's not a question. The question is, why are these believers enduring the bad stuff differently? Why are these believers not dealing with it the way I'm dealing with it? How are they still showing up at that church every Sunday? I know what their life is like. And the answer is because as Christians, we have hope. It's not that we don't grieve. Uh, Let me give you an example. One of my all-time favorite comedy sketches came out years and years ago. If you follow comedy, you might actually remember this sketch. The sketch was with Bob Newhart, and he was playing a counselor. Does anybody remember this? So Bob Newhart's a counselor, and in the sketch, he's sitting there with this woman who's just a mess. She's crying, she's upset, she's scared, she's anxious, and she tells him all of her problems, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you two words to answer all of your problems, and she gets real nervous and gets her notepad out, and he says, well, you can take notes if you want to, but I think you can remember it. It's just two simple words, and he looks at the woman across his desk, and he just says, okay, here it is, the answer to all your problems. Stop it. And so she gets really upset. And she goes, yeah, but when I have those thoughts, he goes, nope, nope, nope. Two words, S-T-O-P, new word, space, I-T, stop it. Now, let's be honest for a moment. How many of you, that is the best advice you've got sometimes? How many of you, when you're, say, your wife or your seven-year-old son are upset, just for instance, you look at them and you say, stop it. How does that go for you when that happens? I'll be honest, it does work. When my wife or one of my sons is upset, they're not upset anymore. That sadness turns to anger at me. So I did deal with the emotion. Here's the problem when we come to our faith. Oftentimes we look at grief, loss, sadness, and disappointment, and the only frame of reference we have is not much better than Bob Newhart. We just look at the bad stuff and we just say, stop it. When the Bible says, you don't have to stop it. Grief's fine. But don't grieve like those who don't have hope. Today, I want to give you, this isn't actually the point of the message, but as I was studying and thinking through this, I kind of want to give you a Christian definition of grief. When Christians grieve, we honor the past, we experience the emotions of the present, but we look with hope toward the future. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I didn't put it on the screen or anything. This is just kind of from my head and hopefully inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to write this down. In my opinion, when Christians grieve, we honor the past, we experience the emotions of the present, and we look forward with hope to the future. I'm going to give you a very, very real current example of this. Um, If you go to the prayer meeting, you heard me talk about this about a month ago. My grandmother had passed away, and so my family, we we did the service and stuff a month ago with the goal that we were just going to completely celebrate Christmas. Well, it just so happened that the way the timing worked out and stuff, they were ready for her to be buried this week, during Christmas week. And so honestly, uh, just between us this morning, I was on the fence about whether we were going to make it or not. Um, It was on Friday morning. We were already planning to leave Pennsylvania Friday. And with the kids and the travel and all the road trip stuff, we just thought 50-50 if we're going to make it. And so we talked the night before. And Whitney, amazing, amazing woman that she is, she really leaned in and said, hey, you, you need to be there for your family. 
And so on Friday, we go to the cemetery, and it's just me, my dad, my grandmother's pastor, her brother, and her sister-in-law. It's a really small group of us. And I'm standing there, and I know at this point, I've got the message ready to go. I cannot help but think through 1 Thessalonians 4 when I'm standing there in the cemetery just a couple days ago. And so I want to run you through my definition of grief. As we're standing there, remember I said we honor the past. Her pastor stood there in front of us, and he's this sweet Lutheran man. He's amazing. He was standing there, and he was just reading out of his Bible, just kind of very word-for-word reading. But as he did, he honored the fact that she had served her church faithfully for many, many years. He honored her past. As we stood there, we definitely experienced the emotions of the present. And thanks to my wife's forethought of slipping one of those tiny packs of tissues in my pocket as I walked out of the car and up into the cemetery, we were ready to experience the emotions of the present. But you know what the difference maker was for me? And I'm not talking about me as a pastor. I'm talking about me as a follower of Jesus. I got to stand there looking forward with hope. As we were getting ready to put her in the ground, I was just standing there thinking like, yes, physically, her body is getting put in the ground, but she's not there anymore. She's with Jesus today. She has hope. She's not sick. And I got to think through all that stuff that might sound cliche, but as a person that just experienced it, I'm telling you it's not. And I got to look forward with hope for this amazing day that 1 Thessalonians is talking about, where me and grandma get to hang out with Jesus together at the same time. As a Christian, I still cried, but I looked forward with hope. Do you hear the difference? So today, if you're grieving something going into the end of the year, and it doesn't need to be as big as the loss of a loved one, grief happens all day, every day. It can be something that you think is dumb or insignificant. If it's grief, God wants to help you through it. Honor the past, experience those emotions, fine, but look forward with hope to the future. So what is Hope. What is this difference maker? Ephesians 2.12 says this, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God, good God in the world. One dictionary I read says this, living hope as a fundamental religious attitude was unknown in Greek culture. In the final analysis, men had to stand without hope before the hostile forces of guilt and death. History tells us that the difference maker in Christianity is and always was and always will be that we've got hope. So what is hope, really? Is it an emotion? Is it, I hope something's going to happen? Or is it something bigger? In the original language, the word is elpis, which is the noun expresses the idea of hope and expectation. If you study it out, this kind of hope is specifically hope in God, in what he is capable of. The power of our hope has a lot to do with where we place our hope. If our hopes in a person will get let down, if our hope is in our money, it will go away. But if our hope is in God alone, we will never be let down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay, so I wanna give you a moment to look at what we are hopeful for. As I studied this, and I was looking at it for a couple different sermons this month, throughout the Bible, death for the believer is often described as sleep. 
How many of you just look forward to going to sleep? Let's be honest about it. Anybody? Okay, I am this way. Uh, this past week, we were on a road trip, and we were stopping at Bucky's, which is God's gift to road trips, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so we stopped at Bucky's, and, and I was looking through the store, and I saw this hoodie, and I didn't get a picture of the one there, but I found it online. So I saw this hoodie. If you can't read it in the back, it says, I already want to take a nap tomorrow. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way before? Okay, so here's the biblical idea of death. Death is just the best nap you've ever had in your life, or in your afterlife. There it was. I, I'm gonna, I was feeling that joke out. Won't happen second service. Thank you for this survey. Okay. As a believer, death is not death. It is true rest and true peace. One of the best funeral sermons I've ever heard was at this little church in Arkansas. It was the death of a family friend, and this is one of those people that has followed Jesus their entire life. Their life was a legacy. And as they passed away, the pastor gave the best funeral message I've ever heard, and throughout the message, all he kept talking about was, hey, she just went to sleep, and she woke up, woke up somewhere else. It's like when we take a nap after feeling sick or having a difficult day, and suddenly you wake up and the world looks totally different, that is what death is for us. And so if nothing else, we get to look forward to never experiencing any of that pain or difficulty again. But what specifically are we looking forward to? If you're anything like me, sometimes I can lean in and listen very close to these words and I can think, okay, that all feels good, but what actually is going to happen? Verse 15 says this, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive, or left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air." Okay, that sounds super cool, but there's a lot of details missing, and if you get caught in the details, you will miss the point. I got saved when I was pretty young. I was in middle school, I was coming up into high school, and right around that time was the same time that the Christian world got hyper-focused on the rapture. If you remember the book Left Behind and the movies Left Behind, they had all come out around that time. Uh, I was in junior high when 9-11 happened, and there was a lot of different markers through our life that made the entire world, every youth group in the country, did something about the end times. I remember around Halloween one year, walking through a thing called Tribulation House, where we had to like pretend we took the mark and then go to hell and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> no trauma, no trauma. <laughs> 10 years of therapy, but no trauma, okay. So that is the Christianity that I came of age in. I had got so hyper-focused that to this day, I vividly remember a dream that I had. I am not making this up. In the dream, I woke up from a dream, which if you've ever been through that trippy experience, so in the dream, I wake up, Jesus is flying over my house, I'm floating up to meet him, and then I start just floating backwards and land back in my bed. So as a preteen, I wake up convinced, like, what sin kept me from being aerodynamic? <laughs> I joke about all that to say this. Don't get so caught up in the details that you miss the point. And Paul actually knew this when he wrote his letter to the Thessalonians. Look at what he says in chapter 5. Now concerning how and when this will all happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. 
For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's will return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Paul's telling them, yes, it's interesting to talk about the when or the how, but in getting caught up in when and how, do not forget who. The point is being with Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says this, and so we will be with the Lord forever. The last song that we sang today lines up with another verse that I'm reading to you this morning in Psalm 1611. I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Have you ever had somebody in your life that when they are in the room, the room changes? Everything's going to be okay. Maybe you have that family member that you were just hoping got invited to that dinner too, so you have someone to sit next with and whisper about everybody else too. Let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe they're the kind of person that when you're dealing with a problem, when they walk in the back door, you're like, okay, it's fine. Uh, if you've been to the prayer meeting, you've heard me talk about this, and I'm not saying this just because of how this service has gone today. One of those people for me, I promise you, is Pastor Brady. And as much as we all just laughed a little bit ago with him talking about us praying for 10 minutes and all this stuff, he is that way 100% of the time. And I promise, if I'm going through something, the dude's been one of my best friends for years, if he is involved, I know he's gonna help it be okay. Amen. Now take the person you're picturing Remove all their imperfections, ratchet it up to 11. That's maybe a slight picture of what it's like to be with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate presence of everything being okay. My favorite verse on eternity is in Revelation, and it says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When Jesus is there, none of that other stuff has any place to be there with you. So what do we do? We look forward to that with hope. Martin Luther once said this, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. You may think you've heard something new today, but you haven't. Everything you do in life, you do with hope. We work in hopes that we're going to get paid. We work out in hopes that it's going to help us physically. We turn on the show hoping that we're going to rest for a little bit and enjoy it. We make the difficult phone call hoping that things will be better after we've gone through with it. We live our lives with hope. We're constantly looking forward with hope. My challenge for us today is to just look forward to the right place for the right things. But what do we actually do? If you're action-oriented like me, it's not enough to just have a thought or a feeling. We need an action step. What do we actually do? Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we look forward with hope, but what do we do next? Write this down. We move forward together. We look forward with hope. We move forward together. How do we encourage one another? Well, in the original language, the word encourage is parakaleo, which means to call to or for, to exhort or to encourage. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Family, I don't want to put any undue pressure on you this morning, but as believers, our words carry weight. 
They carry weight because as followers of Jesus, there is an authority that comes with what we say, especially to those whose faith is shaky or those who are going through a difficult time. And so today, as we begin to process this and say, okay, what do I do? I I don't want to scare you about what you say, but here's what I will do. I want to challenge us with scripture that as we look forward with hope ourselves and we begin to move forward together, God might call you to say certain things or not say certain things in the hopes that we're going to encourage somebody else and build their faith as well. This word encourage comes up multiple times in Paul's letters. In the book of Ephesians, here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And this next part of the phrase, I don't know if I've ever noticed as much as I did this week. Building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Here's the problem. I like to talk according to my needs. I want to get things off my chest. I want to say things in a certain way. Again, going to my example earlier, I would like my wife or my kids to stop whatever emotion I'm not cool with. I'm speaking according to my needs. But the Bible says this. I need to encourage and build up others in their faith according to their needs. And you know what people need? They need you to say something. You know, oftentimes we get caught and we want to be kind. We want to let people feel what they feel. They're going through it. I just don't want to be overbearing. I just don't want to say anything. Biblically, it is our responsibility to share the hope of Jesus. Now, you can say too many words, and I am great at that. And I've got about two minutes to not do that here today. But saying too little can be just as damaging when there is someone in your life that needs the hope that can only come through you sharing the good news of what we have to look forward to. One commentary said this, Paul and Sylvanus presented these teachings so that believers can comfort and encourage each other in the face of death. The purpose is not to promote speculation about the end times. The purpose of this letter, this passage, Paul reaching out to the Thessalonians was to help them not just to be encouraged themselves, but to learn how to encourage one another. So I want us to end where we began. What are you looking forward to this year? If you're having trouble looking forward with yourself, I want you to take a moment and remember, we all get to look forward to more time with Jesus. If nothing else, we've got something to look forward to. And maybe you're on the other side of that today and you're feeling pretty positive going into New Year's tonight, tomorrow. Let me challenge you. Even if things are going great, this message was still for you because we have to not only look forward with hope, we've got to move forward together. Would you maybe lean in today and say, God, help me to encourage somebody else as we come in to the new year season. We look forward with hope. We move forward together. First and second Thessalonians are fascinating letters. We learn a lot about our faith through these two short books. Uh, In our young adult ministry, we actually spent the whole semester with our college students studying this book, and it was incredible. But it all comes down to one first that is my favorite one of the entire thing, and this is where I want to leave you today. First Thessalonians 5, verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. It's all just about being together. 
I'm gonna tell you one more story and then I'm gonna pray. A few nights ago, I was sitting in our hotel room and I was finishing up this message and just getting some stuff done on my laptop and I had assumed the kids were gonna be fine, they were good. Riley was sitting on one bed and he was reading and Teddy had these new Legos that he was playing with on the floor. Everything was fine. I had my moment of peace to open up my, open up my laptop and work on some stuff. So I was doing it for about five minutes. And then Teddy, and remember, if you don't know my family, Teddy is the little one, so he's only two years old. He walks over and somehow he found the very tiny power button on my laptop. It's like so small. And somehow little two-year-old Teddy playing with his Legos reached around to shut my laptop off so that even though I'd spent the whole day and honestly the whole week, we have not been apart like at all, he would get me to stop for a second and play Legos with him for just a few more minutes or several more minutes. <laughs> before we went to bed. So today, as I was getting ready for this, and last night as I was preparing to be here with you this morning, all I can think is that Jesus, with the same tenacity of a two-year-old, is getting in our face this morning, trying to find the off switch so that we'll look at him for just a minute. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with hope, I promise you, the Bible says that Jesus wept, and it says that so that you understand that whatever you're going through, he is not out of touch. He can weep just like the rest of us. What Jesus wants is not for you to pretend everything's fine. He wants to go through it with you. He wants to sit there with you in the difficult moment. He wants to be there next to you when you make the hard phone call, when you pay the difficult bill, when you go to that doctor's appointment you're freaked out about. He is not out of touch between Sundays. And so today, if you are looking into a new year, super hopeful, awesome. There's someone in the room that needs your hope today. But if you're here today, like many, many people this morning, just praying and hoping, God, make next year better than this one. Jesus wants you to know today that all he cares about above all else is being with you through every good, every bad, every difficult moment so that you can go through it with hope and in doing so, experience a miracle tour on the way. So if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I wanna offer you hope today. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we read the passage earlier that says that you would not have hope. It makes sense that you would feel negative or feel stressed or anxious this morning. But the Bible also says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that doesn't just mean saved in eternity and all that other stuff I read about. It means that you can experience heaven in eternity right here, right now with a savior that is not out of touch, a savior that, yes, we experience disappointment, but he'll walk through it with us. You can experience life no longer being alone. If you want relationship with Jesus today, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer. And that's not for my sake, it's for yours to have a defining moment, knowing that on New Year's Eve, you gave your life to Jesus. If that's you today, I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to raise your hand real high so I can see you and pray with you. If you wanna say yes to the Lord today for the first time, or maybe it's been a real long time and you need to come back home to faith. If that's you, I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to raise your hands all across this room. One, two, three. Go and raise your hand up high where I can see you. I wanna pray with you today. If you're praying this prayer online, just leave us a message. We'd like to pray with you. Second group of people I want to pray with this morning, if you're here today and you just need hope, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to count and all that stuff. Just raise your hand if you need hope this morning. I want you to know we're praying with you today. Family, would you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, you are the son of God. You died for me, for my sin, in my place. Forgive me 
and make me new. And from this day forward, with your help, I'm all yours. In Jesus' name.